This is Alan Johnson, pastor of Old Peachtree Presbyterian Church in Duluth, Georgia. The Bible is God's Word. It describes itself as living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Therefore, any encounter with the Bible is a momentous thing because it never leaves us unchanged. My prayer for you as you hear this message is that the Holy Spirit will use it in your life to inform your mind, to feed your soul, and to help you grow in your faith in Christ. Please turn with me in your Bibles this morning to 1 Chronicles chapter 29, looking at verses 10 through 19. This is actually a continuation of the passage that Mike read earlier. 1 Chronicles 29, your Bible may may automatically be inclined to open to Matthew, uh, but just uh, say no to it and turn it to 1 Chronicles 29. If your Bible just happens to fall open to First Chronicles 29 or First Chronicles at all, because you're there a lot, I'd love to talk with you afterwards and get to know you better. First Chronicles chapter 29. We're looking this morning at verses 10 through 19. The reason we're in First Chronicles is uh, has to do, of course, last night with the uh, kickoff banquet for the. Answering God's Challenge Capital Campaign, the service this morning, the text, uh, at any rate, is linked to that, an extension of that uh, as we look at this passage this morning. And so um, uh, many of you were here last night for that time, uh, rather transformed sanctuary. We had round tables all over. It was very nice. Uh, It was supposed to kind of give you an idea what this room could look like as a fellowship hall with a sanctuary down the hallway, uh, so maybe just a taste of what the future might hold at some point. Today, we are looking at First Chronicles 29. Let's begin reading in verse 10. Hear the word of God. Therefore David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. And David said, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might. And in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. But who am I? And what is my people that we should be able thus to offer willingly? For all things come from you, and of your own have we given you. We are strangers before you and sojourners as all our fathers were. Our days on the earth are like a shadow, and there is no abiding. O Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a house for your holy name comes from your hand and is all your own. I know, my God, that you test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness. In the uprightness of my heart, I have freely offered all these things, and now I have seen your people who are present here offering freely and joyously to you. O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers, keep forever such purposes and thoughts 
in the hearts of your people and direct their hearts toward you. Grant to Solomon, my son, a whole heart that he may keep your commandments, your testimonies and your statutes, performing all and that he may build the palace for which I have made provision. We give thanks to the Lord for his holy and inspired word. Let's pray together. Father, as we turn our attention to your scriptures, we pray for light. Pray for the light of your Holy Spirit. Father, we thank you for this passage, this uh, celebration in prayer on David's part for your goodness. And Father, we pray that you would use your word to feed us, to give us strength, to encourage us, to rebuke us, to equip us, train us in righteousness. And Father, to be a means of your grace to us, to build us up in Christ, to draw us to Christ. For we pray it in his name. Amen. I have to admit that I lately have found myself feeling somewhat guilty when I talk to other pastors. Because when pastors get together, they often talk about what's going on in their church, how their church is doing, and so forth. Uh, And the general consensus today seems to be that uh, every church out there is hurting financially because of the financial conditions in which we find ourselves. This church is struggling. That church is struggling. And and eventually the question comes around to Old Peachtree. Well, how are things going at Old Peachtree? How are we doing? Are we are we suffering financially? And I somewhat sheepishly have to acknowledge that no, we're really not struggling financially. In fact, we're doing pretty well. Last year, we finished with a significant budget surplus. This year, we continue to, uh, to run ahead of our budget in terms of the tithes, offerings given to the church. And uh, so I almost feel a little bit guilty acknowledging to my fellow pastors that we're doing pretty well. And I praise God for that. I give thanks to, that, that, uh, to God for that. I give credit to God for his goodness to our church. But I also commend you because the goodness of God in this case flows through you. It flows through your faithful giving. It flows through your generosity in supporting the budget, in supporting the ministry, in supporting the vision of this church. And so I commend you for that. And I have to say uh, that as we um, look toward the possibility of expanding our uh, building here, that that giving, that strong giving, even even in the current economy, encourages us as a church uh, to move forward with those plans for expansion in the new building, which you heard about uh, last night, uh, and it, as Mike said, if you weren't here, the brochures are available and have a lot of details, uh, as well as the small groups coming up. So you've heard a lot about that, uh, and it is an ambitious undertaking, uh, but, but we're encouraged in that a number of ways, not the least of which is the continued faithfulness of you all in giving and supporting this church. Well, our passage this morning is about building. It's about a building, the temple. Actually, a smaller building than the one that we have planned, but a more expensive one. 
much of it being overlaid with gold and silver, which we're not actually planning to do with the building that we have in mind, but that was going to be the case with the temple. Uh, and the plans to build, plans to build this temple that would be the focal point of worship and the, the religious life of the people of God. Initially, David purposed to build this temple. And Nathan said to him, sounds like a good idea to me. But the Lord came to Nathan and said, Nathan, no, you're to instruct David that he's not the one to build the temple. His son Solomon will be the one to build this temple. And so David recognized that, but he also paves the way through support, through giving, through his own generosity and uh, gathering materials and setting the stage for Solomon to build this, this magnificent temple. And we read about that as Mike read in verses 1 through 9, passage that describes the, the giving, the generosity, all of this that was brought together to support the building of this temple. Well, in our text, uh, verses 10 through 19, David prays a prayer of thanksgiving. The text is, is a prayer, uh, giving praise to God, thanksgiving to God for the generosity, for all of that abundance that they received. And David's overwhelmed by the generosity, by all that was provided. And so that in verse 14, he exclaims, Who am I? What is my people that should, we should be able thus to offer willingly? Well, his own prayer answers his question prayer that we've just read, it shows us that this kind of giving that Israel demonstrated, that we will need to demonstrate if we're going to be able to accomplish what we hope to accomplish with this building program, that that kind of building, that kind of giving to support the building does not arise superficially, but it grows out of the heart. It comes from the heart, that this kind of giving uh, has three roots that have worked their way down into the soil of our hearts. Three particularly we want to consider from David's prayer here this morning. That that kind of generosity was not a careless or superficial thing, but arose from deep within the people themselves. Why? Again, these three roots. First, first root we want to consider here from which this kind of giving arises is that they had a sense of the glory, the, 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 the splendor of the Lord. They had a sense of the magnificence of this God who had redeemed them, this God whom they worshipped, this God whom this building, this temple they built would represent. It was that sense of the glory of God that motivated this kind of giving. We see this in verses 10 and 11. David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. They're gathered, and David is praying uh, almost as a, as a pastoral prayer. He's praying for the people on behalf of the people. And notice this awareness of God. David said, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel our Father, forever and ever. David indicates here a sense of the glory of God in his eternal nature. That this is a being who is supremely transcendent. That he is the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end, without a start, without a finish. That he is the God who inhabits eternity, our Father, forever and ever. He goes on to indicate something of the majesty of God in verse 11. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness 
and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. David begins this prayer by reflecting on the utter majesty, the glory of God. Look at the terms he uses. Greatness, power, glory, victory, majesty. Yours is the kingdom. You are exalted as head above all. Now, this sense of God is necessary for the Christian life. We, we should always have a sense of the, the supremacy, the majesty, the power, the greatness, the glory of this God whom we serve, this God who has redeemed us. And it's interesting, after the temple was completed, when Solomon was praying that prayer of dedication, Solomon prays, the highest heavens can't even contain you, O God. How much less this, this temple that we have made for your dwelling place. You see, Solomon recognizes that that temple, despite its grandeur, despite its beauty, despite the design, which was essentially that of the the Old Testament, the earlier tabernacle in the Old Testament, with the Holy of Holies being the focal point and the holy place and the outer court, uh, the temple being a permanent form of that there in Jerusalem. For all of those things, and, and as it represented God in the midst of his people, and it was the place where sacrifices were offered, God was not contained in that building. That he was far too grand, far too vast, far too magnificent for that. And so we see reflected in David's prayer, even as he's thanking God for the generosity of the people, that that generosity rose up out of a sense of the worthiness of this God who had redeemed them, this God to whom they belonged, the worthiness that he possessed of everything that they had and everything that they were. Even apart from a building campaign, do you, do you live each day with a sense of the glory of the God whom you serve, of the God whom you follow, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? And certainly, as we look toward our life as a church and future construction, uh, that arises and should arise, not out of a sense of our greatness, not out of a sense of uh, self-aggrandizement, this desire to inflate ourselves, to blow ourselves up, to make ourselves big, but should arise, and biblically it would arise, out of a sense of the majesty of God. That even the grandest building we could build, even if we did overlay it with gold, would not be worthy of the God whom it was built to serve. So we start with this deep-rooted sense of the glory of the Lord, and we see that reflected in David's prayer here. Second uh, root that was in their hearts that, that allowed this kind of generosity to arise was a sense of stewardship before the Lord. And this, this comes through very keenly in David's prayer. Look at verses 12 through 16. The first thing we see talking about stewardship is that we have a sense that all we have, all that we have, comes from God. Look at verse 12. David says, Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might. In your hand it is to make great, to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. 
And look at verse 14. Again, that amazement. Who am I? What is my people that we should be able thus to offer willingly? For all things come from you, and of your own have we given you. As Christians, we have a view of stewardship that reflects what David says here, that all that we have comes from God. It has been given to us by God. Well, why has has God been so generous to us in this way? Well, one purpose that God has in view in his generosity to us is that we would enjoy the material wealth that he has given us to be generous to others. You may want to keep your finger there at 1 Chronicles 29 and look with me at 1 Timothy 6. 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19. As you'll see, that's not the only purpose that God has blessed us so generously. But it is a purpose. It's one of the purposes, is that we would be generous toward others. Uh, 1 Timothy 6, verses 17 through 19. By the way, we'll be looking at uh, 1 Timothy tonight, the evening service, uh, kind of following up this theme a little bit more tonight, uh, the whole biblical view of, of money and wealth. But for now, we're looking at verses 17 through 19. Paul writes to Timothy, Ask for the rich in this present age, and uh, certainly in our own country, we have a, a, a scale of wealth. Uh, some people who are vastly wealthy, others not, but um, uh, certainly in terms of historical perspective as well as global perspective today, I think we would have to categorize ourselves certainly more toward the rich side than not. So I think this verse, these verses rightly would address us, but certainly in our context, uh, uh, those whom God has blessed with, with more wealth than others. But this is what he says. Charge them not to be haughty, not to be proud, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. We're not to trust in, in, in what we have, but on God. Even if we have a lot, even if, if, if we're, we're doing well financially, that's not where our trust and our confidence lies, but in God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. One purpose of God's generosity to us is that we would enjoy it. And there's nothing wrong with enjoying it. God blesses us and gives us the means uh, to be able to enjoy things in this life. That's, that's okay. That's part of it. But that's not all that, the, the reason that God has blessed us. Verse 18, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Uh, another reason is that we would be generous. Certainly enjoy what God has given us. That's okay, and that has a place. But we also have to recognize that one of the reasons God blesses us is to be generous, to share with others, to provide for others, to meet the needs and be a blessing to others in that way. By doing that, another reason, verse 19, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may be able to take hold of that which is truly life. You know, we're concerned to store up uh, treasure, store up money in a Roth account, uh, 401k uh, for some future point in our lives, but are we investing in eternity? Are we building a retirement for heaven? Are we investing in the kingdom so that we are storing up uh, for that which, as Paul says, is truly life? Some of the reasons God has blessed us so generally, generously is so that we can enjoy it, is so that we can be generous, is so that in being generous we are, and using 
the wealth God has given us for kingdom purposes, investing in our eternal well-being, our eternal retirement, if you want to put it that way. And so God is generous so that we might be generous. But it's also worth noting that God is generous to us as stewards out of his grace. Look at verse 15. For we are strangers before you and sojourners, as all our fathers were. Our days on earth are like a shadow and there's no abiding. You know, the scriptures make clear, the Old Testament makes clear, that God did not redeem Israel for himself because they were the most numerous, impressive people out there. God said, I'm going to pick a winner and go with them. No. They were, they were small. They were nobody. They were nothing. But God chose them and set his affection upon them. He calls Abraham and he builds a great nation out of him because it pleased God to do so. You know, that's echoed. When Paul writes to the church in Corinth and says, remember who you were when you were called. Not many of you were great. Not many of you were, you know, the movers and shakers. Not many of you were the nobility. But God chooses the things that are not to shame the things that are. He chooses the weak to shame the strong because the glory is God's. The grace is God's. And so as we have this sense of stewardship, before the Lord, we need to understand why God has been so generous to us. Yes, to enjoy it, but also to use it to be a blessing to others. But also we recognize that it's, it's all of God's grace. Uh, we, too, are strangers before the Lord and sojourners. We have no claim on God. God does not owe us. And if God owes us anything, it's his judgment. But He's already poured. if you're a Christian, he's already poured that out on Christ, and that has been satisfied. So the wealth we enjoy, the provision that we have, is all of God's grace. So this sense of stewardship, as David reflects here, involves an awareness that everything we have comes from God. It is a gift from him. It is a blessing from him. But it also means that all that we have belongs to God. Now, that's the difference between a pure gift and a stewardship. If you give a gift to somebody, that's theirs. It's theirs to do with what they please. But if you entrust something to someone for their safekeeping, they are stewards of it. Maybe someone's keeping your pet while you're gone. Well, you, you trust that they will take care of the pet and restore it to you whole when you return. Well, we recognize that God has blessed us, but that ultimately what he has given to us, we are not the owners of, but stewards of. Look at verse 16. Lord our God, David prays, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a house for your holy name comes from your hand and is all your own. It comes from your hand and it is, it present tense, it it remains yours. David is acknowledging that even though God has blessed us with it, it ultimately still belongs to him And we are accountable to him for what we do with it. Remember not too long ago in Matthew, studying the parable of the talents, where God, where the the master uh, who reflects God in the parable gives the five talents and two talents and one talent. And he comes back and there is an accounting. There's a, a, a rendering back to the owner what has been done with what is his. Well, it's the same thing here. David recognizes that all of this comes from God and ultimately still belongs to God. So if we're going to be the kind of givers, generous, 
that is reflected here, that arises from the heart. It arises from the sense of the glory of the Lord. It arises from a sense of stewardship before the Lord, that everything I have belongs to the Lord, and I'm accountable to him. It's okay with him, if I use some of what he's blessed me with, to enjoy it, you know, to experience things in life, to be able to do things in life. That's a good thing to do. But that's not the only thing. There's also this side of it that's, that's, that's giving. And, and by the way, as God's grace works in our hearts, one of the best ways of enjoying what God has given you is to give it to the blessing of others. A sense of stewardship before the Lord. Third root that was deep in their hearts, reflected here, is a sense of devotion to the Lord. Talked about a sense of the glory of the Lord, sense of stewardship before the Lord, but also a sense of devotion to the Lord. Verses 17 through 19. They are devoted to the Lord, and it shows in having the right motivation. Look at verse 17. David says, I know, my God, that you test the heart, and have pleasure in uprightness. Remember Samuel is looking for the next king of Israel, and he goes and checks out Jesse's son, some impressive young men. The Lord kept saying to Samuel, no, he's quite a fine young man, but he's not the one. And they finally come down to David. There was no slouch himself, but more importantly was his heart. And the Lord reminds Samuel, man looks at the outward appearance. The Lord looks at the heart. The things that impress us may not impress God because God sees the heart. God sees the motivation. Remember Jesus in Matthew 6 saying that we're not to be like the scribes and Pharisees. We're not to be like those who, who give to be seen by men. We're not to be like those who pray to be seen by men or those who fast in order to be seen by men. What they're looking for is the applause of people, not the pleasure of God. And they'll get the applause of people, but God is not impressed. There's an important note in that Capital, Cam- Capital Campaign brochure uh, that the purpose of this is not compulsion. In fact, if you're only going to give out of guilt, I would rather you not give at all. Because we want to ultimately give out of devotion to the Lord and a desire to see his name magnified not so much through a building, but through the growth of the kingdom that could occur occur through a building. That's what we're looking for. And notice what David says. You test the heart, Lord. When you give, God is testing your heart. What is your motivation? You have pleasure in uprightness. And then notice what David says. In the uprightness of my heart, I have freely offered all these things. And now I have seen your people who are present here, offering freely and joyously to you. My hope is that this capital campaign raises the money that we need, but more than the dollar amount. My hope is that what is given would be given willingly, joyously, happily, gladly, out of a sense of the majesty of the Lord, out of a sense of stewardship before the Lord, out of a sense of devotion to the Lord. Do we see that here? David says, I've given, the Lord sees my heart and knows my motivation. He's seen the giving of these people and knows how they have given, given willingly, joyously, because the Lord tests the heart. He sees the motivation. He sees the heart. Why would you give? I hope not to impress anybody. I hope not because you feel guilty, but simply out of love 
for the Lord. And notice what he goes on to say in verses 18 through 19, that even that devoted heart is the work of God's grace. Verse 18, O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers, keep forever such purposes and thoughts in the hearts of your people and direct their hearts toward you. Lord, keep that same attitude in their hearts. Because he recognizes God's the one who put that attitude there, and it's up to God to keep that attitude there. Again in verse 19, grant to Solomon, my son, a whole heart that he may keep your commandments, your testimonies, and your statutes, performing all, and that he may build the palace for which I have made provision. He prays for his son, who will be king, who will be the one to oversee this building program, that his heart would be whole, that his heart would be right with the Lord, and that that right heart would be reflected in his obedience to the Lord. You see, with God, it's the heart that counts, even more than the bottom line. And the Lord sees our hearts. He sees our motivation, not, certainly in giving, but not just in giving, in giving, in everything that we do, in every day, every motive, every action, everything we say or do. The Lord sees the heart. He sees us in ways that we may not even see ourselves, and certainly other people may not see us. But you see this here, this sense of devotion, that the giving was from the heart, and that sense of devotion itself was the gift of God's grace. We need to pray that God would give us a heart to serve him, a heart to love him, a heart to be devoted to him, so that that that, that gives rise to genuine heart obedience to the Lord in every area, as well as in giving. We have a large task ahead of us with this building program. We're going to build the building that we would like to, and we will certainly need everyone's involvement in that. And I do, I want to commend you. Because you were a giving church. Uh, the fact that we finished last year so strongly, despite uh, the, the total economic mess of last fall, testifies to that. The, that we're ahead of budget for this year testifies to that. And uh, I'm happy to suffer a little bit of guilt and embarrassment when I talk with other pastors to <laughs> tell them that, uh, that we have a congregation who is generous and faithful and continues to give and continues to support the church, and that really we're, we're doing okay. But I also want to challenge you not to take this as encouragement to let off, uh, but even beyond uh, the giving to support the budget of the church, to give beyond that to our capital campaign, because our desire is to increase the visibility, increase the influence, increase the ministry of this church here, uh, and around the world, as we're able to grow in the future and support an even larger missionary force, uh, that is our desire, and all for the glory of God. Well, if we're going to do this, if we're going to sustain it, it will require a deeply rooted sense of the glory of our Lord. It will require a deeply rooted sense of stewardship before the Lord. It will require a deeply rooted sense of devotion to the Lord. And certainly now... And I hope in the future that we would all be able to say, as we look at our congregation, who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give so generously to the Lord? Let's pray. Father, we pray that we might have that same sense of humility and that same sense of amazement that David expresses in those words. 
Uh, Father, we've experienced that already. Who are we, Lord, in these days to be able to give as we have give, given? And uh, Father, I praise you for that. And we praise you for that. And we pray that might continue. And that through your generosity to us, we would be able to be generous in supporting the kingdom, the spread of the knowledge of Christ in this world in all kinds of ways. Father, we want your name known. We pray for the salvation of the lost. We pray thy kingdom come here in this world through the preaching and the teaching and the sharing of the good news of Jesus. And we pray it all to your glory, O Lord. Amen.